You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. We're in a series called uh, Easter Words, right? Is that the name? Yes, there it is, Easter Words. Um, I wasn't sure if it was Easter Wordle or Easter Words. Um, I just have the image of the logo. Uh, But what we're doing is kind of covering the language of Lent and Easter. There's a lot of churchy words, uh, scholarly words, biblical words that come up that are prompted uh, in our midst during service, during our readings, and they are words full of meaning, and sometimes because they can be so cerebral, um, we can disattach the, the depths of the meaning from it by just simply repeating things. For example, today's word is crucifixion, and we can almost empty the word crucifixion in the context of Jesus of its meaning by just repeating a phrase that is a truish phrase, but is incomplete, which is, Jesus died for our sins. True, but it's deeper. It's deeper. What does that mean? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Why did Jesus have to die, period, regardless of whether it was on a cross or not? Many people have struggled with this. Uh, Some people grew up in the church, and they don't struggle with this. Others simply have been able to take that at face value and say, yeah, he died for my sins. I get it. It makes sense to me. But for some people, the crucifixion of Jesus, this innocent person taking the blow, so to speak, for us, can be troublesome. Um, Sometimes, depending on who you're hearing it from, it can sound like someone is saying that Yahweh, the Father, was an angry father that was angry at us, really angry at us, and uh, he had to take out his wrath on someone, and he took it out on Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, uh, who stepped in the way. And that could sound very toxic. I mean, there's true-ish elements, but it's so incomplete. It's it's a perverted gospel, to say it the way I said it. You got to go deeper than that. We have to. In order to be moved by the cross, which which I think is one of the ultimate goals for us, to be moved in our affections towards God by the cross, we got to wrestle with the cross a little more. We got to go beyond just words that have now become repetitive in Christian culture and that have lost a lot of meaning, contextual meaning, uh, ancient Israelite meaning. So that's our goal today, is to explore crucifixion, the cross. What does it mean? Why, why Why is the death of Jesus necessary? There's the classic passage, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I would say verse 17 is super important because it it just, without verse 17, you might just walk away thinking Jesus came to the world to condemn those that don't follow him. No. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to free us, to cleanse us, to forgive us. I mean, if, if anything you take away with you today, at least two of at least four different items that we'll discuss today, the cross does for us, Jesus on the cross does for us, take away with you that the cross is the greatest act of love 
for example, the Apostle John. And it is both for forgiveness and freedom. And you can't, you can't separate those two. It is both for forgiveness and for freedom. You just can't separate those two. They're two sides of the same uh, coin. But as I said, a lot of people still struggle with the imagery of this son that is innocent and steps into the way of what some people would say is an angry God. And it's because that way of thinking about it has actually not Christian roots, pagan roots. That way of thinking about it, where I have to do the sacrifice to appease the angry gods, that's pagan religion. That's not Christianity. It's deeper than that. The Christian faith and the crucifixion are deeper than that. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, warns us to be careful. Uh, here's, here's what I would say um, to kind of follow the lines of thoughts of N.T. Wright. I would say we must understand that the theology of the cross is not a simple train of thought, but rather a truthful of dimensionality. Layered dimensions that together form a single cohesive truth but it's kind of hard for us to understand. It's not just a simple train of thought. It's not as simple as he died for our sins. Yes, he died for our sins, but what does that mean? What does that mean? If we forget the layers and the depths of each of those layers, we can end up with a distorted or even perverted gospel. Tim Mackey, biblical scholar, PhD in Jewish studies, um, He's the co-founder of the nonprofit, The Bible Project in Portland. He said, here's how some people might quote the gospel in the church. And he's saying this is incorrect. He said, some people might say, God is holy and perfect. You are not. Therefore, God is angry at you, hates you even, so he has to kill you. But because he's merciful, he'll let you bring uh, an animal or Jesus, right? In the Old Testament, an animal for the sacrifice. And we'll kill the animal or Jesus instead of you. So thankfully, Jesus came to be the one who gets killed by God instead of me. Jesus rescued us from God, which is already a weird thing to say. So now we can go forever to be to the happy place after we die and not the bad place. There's a lot that's wrong about that. And, that, and, and unfortunately, some Christians, uh, this is their summary of the gospel. And that's just so superficial and just... Uh, incorrect. It's incorrect in a lot of ways. That's a perversion of the gospel at best. Now, what I n make no mistake quoted from Tim Mackey there is also a caricature. It's, it's an exaggeration of a very simplified gospel, but we got to explore the layers. What does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? Let's go deeper. The first point that we should make is that the cross was necessary for purification and covering. Now, if purification is still too churchy a word, just say cleansing, for cleaning. The cross was necessary for cleaning and for covering. I'm using phrasing here by also biblical scholar Tim Mackey, who talks about the importance of the atonement side of things, which is not the only side of what the cross does. But again, for cleansing and for covering. Now, let me give you an example. Um, let's say that uh, JP, JP and I, JP isn't here, but the reason I bring him up as an example is because this has often happened with me and him. We go to a restaurant, uh, and JP uh, forgets his wallet. This happens a lot. 
It happens a lot. So JP, I, I suspect you're watching online. If you are watching online, sorry to use you yet again as an example. Uh, Kadia can tell you, Kadia, does he forget his wallet a few times? Yeah, every single time. There you go. So you, can, you see what I mean? JP forgets his wallet all the time. Um, so we go, let's say we go to a restaurant and, and th this actually happened to him, but not with me. Let's say JP invites someone else to say, I'm going to treat you to dinner. And when he gets there, he says, I forgot my wallet. <laughs> he actually did that, not to me, but to someone else. Now, this, this is, of course, very awkward. And now there's a debt. There is a debt. Now, you could argue that fine, the person that JP invited, let's say it's me, uh, could just say, okay, yes, I forgive you. Look, you're my friend. You know, we're supposed to forgive unconditionally. Fine. Sure, that's true. And then I pay for him. Uh, or I decide I'm not going to pay for him. Now the server is like, I don't care that JP's your friend. One of you has to pay, right? There's a debt to it. Now, okay, well, then let's say that the server, the restaurant says, I forgive it. I, that's fine. Now multiply this and imagine every, or let's say 75% of restaurant goers do this. And let's say that in 50% of those instances, no one has a wallet. Now, the restaurant can keep forgiving, but what's going to happen to the restaurant eventually? It closes, it goes out of business. The reality is we want to be forgiving and we should, but there is a cost. There is a cost and, and, and here's a way to think about it. There's a spiritual agriculture with sin. Sin does two things. It, yes, it sows a cost because the cost of sin is death. The wage of sin is death. So sin in the spiritual cosmos, the spiritual agriculture, it, it infects this world which was meant to be a good temple for God. It, 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 it sows corruption. The reality is that our offenses, they do sow in this damage to the environment, not just to the relationships, but to the environment of the relationship. Let's say that I keep always paying for JP. What's going to happen to my friendship with JP over time? You know, Katya's going to say, like, you always pay for him. Now, JP, does, just to clarify, I'm throwing JP under the bus here. <laughs> JP is the kindest, most generous person I know, right? So he always pays back. <laughs> he always invites you. He pays for you. He gives you free massages. That's weird. He's a chiropractor. Just some context. It's like, yeah, he gives you a free massage. He's a chiropractor. So he gives you free adjustments, free massages. Many of you here have reaped the benefit of JP's free treatment, right? <laughs> yes, physiotherapy. Uh, sorry, the doctor is correcting me. Okay. <laughs> um, so then, uh, so what happens? Um, eventually, the relationship between JP and I is tarnished. I could have forgiven him, and I've paid for his debt in every single time. But what happens is, oh, I don't invite him to go eat anymore because I know what he's going to do. Right? There's a, now there's a lack of trust. The relationship has been tarnished. The environment of the relationship. There's a lack of trust. There's hurt. There's pain. Now take this to other types of sins, lying, envy, uh, gossiping, whatever it is. There's a damage to the relationship and the environment of the relationship. So two things happen with sin. A debt. 
not of money, like in the restaurant analogy, but a debt in the sense that there is death being sowed into the world through our sins, there, there, and, and it's taking over the world, over the spiritual cosmos, right? This is a dimension we can't see and that actually the Bible talks about a whole lot. Uh, and, you know, I remember Paul quoted uh, Unseen Realm, right, from Michael Heiser. He talks a lot about this unseen realm and what happens and how the ancient Israelites thought about this. Um, so there is a debt because of the death that's being sown into the spiritual agriculture of the world, and then there's a damaged relationship. That damaged relationship is not just between myself and the person I offend. It's also between myself and God. In fact, Sin is so pervasive, sin is so pervert that it damages the environment around me to the extent that God can no longer be in our presence. And that's key. In fact, inside of the tabernacle, the priest, when he would do the sacrifice, some of you know, what would he do with the blood of the sacrifice? Katya. Yeah. Sprinkle it. He'd sprinkle the blood on different parts of the altar, and the purpose of that was to cleanse, to clean the environment, to clean that spiritual dimension of the environment so that God's presence, the tabernacle, right? God is supposed to be inside of this tabernacle for Israel to be in communion with him so that God's presence doesn't leave. So there's a debt that spiritual, the spiritual death that takes over from sin, and it starts to take over our world, but also God's presence does not stick where the damage of death and sin is. So there's this blood that needs to sprinkle, as Katya went, she went like this, right? Sprinkle it to cleanse the environment. Now, why would blood cleanse the environment? Now, we have to understand this was an ancient culture. And pagan cultures around the Israelites did something different, but it was more along other lines. So God repurposed this ancient practice that many cultures did and gave it a new meaning, a new symbol. And so the blood, which represents life, blood is the life force of animals and of people, the blood sprinkles life on death. The blood sprinkles life on death, okay? So we're cleansing or purifying. The blood cleanses the environment that God is supposed to be present in for our sake. Without God, we are lost. So the blood of Jesus is necessary precisely so that we can cleanse the environment and even the environment in our souls because after all, the Holy Spirit is coming into this tabernacle, right? The Holy Spirit's going to dwell in you. How can the lack of cleansiness in your soul allow... God can't come in to dwell unless there's a perfect blood that all the other animal sacrifices were pointing to. The animal sacrifices didn't do the job. Jesus did the job. I mean, after all, in Hebrews it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So it wasn't the blood of those animals was the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 9, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to, that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, so a, a greater tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, 
It's not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats, calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, see, defiled, with the ashes of, uh, of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood, the life force of Christ, who is life, right? Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. Cleansing with the life force. John says in 1 John, if we confess, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're not making up some theology here of cleaning. It's all over the Bible. In, in three chapters later, in 1 John 4, John says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, the debt and the environment of our souls, of our surroundings, of our relationships require cleansing for God to live amongst his people. Amen. And the life that kills death, pun intended, is the blood of Jesus. So you see, forgiveness is deeper than just Yes, he died on the cross to forgive us. What does that mean? Why did he have to die on the cross? Why blood? Why all this imagery? Why is he the Lamb of God? Second point to make here. The crucifixion was the moment Christ defeated sin and death by taking on himself the, blue, the, the full blow of sin that we cultivated. Okay, so this isn't an angry God that's out to just take it out on someone. That's the pagan God. That's not Yahweh. That's not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The crucifixion was the moment Christ defeated sin and death by taking on himself the full blow of sin that we have cultivated. See, the reality is that, again, there is a cost that builds up. There is a cost and the animal sacrifices didn't fix that. There is a cost. At the end of the day, death must consume, so to speak. And it's sowed and reaped by us. But thankfully, not fully reaped by us, Jesus takes the blow for us. In Romans 8, it says in the first three verses, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. It doesn't say condemned Jesus. Jesus wasn't condemned Sin was condemned. That's the enemy, right? We see Jesus as someone that's trying to keep God's wrath apart from us. And in reality, it's Jesus, God, the Father, standing on our side facing sin. Do you get that? It's not God standing in between us. It is God standing on your side against sin and death, against the powers of darkness, 
He's on your side. He's not trying to get to you. He's trying to be with you. He's trying to empower, to liberate you, to cleanse you so that he can live in you. You see, there's depths to the cross. On the cross, sin was condemned. On the cross, the blow, it had to take toll on human life. How did it happen? The Remember, the law is given to the Israelites. The Israelites are the promised people that are supposed to carry the promise of blessing to all nations. And they failed. The law exposes the failure of the very own Israelites. And here comes, on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of this royal priest, a king and priest, and he's walking in, here I am, the spiritual forces of darkness revealed both in the corruption of the politicians of Rome and in the corruption of the religious establishment converge on Jesus. They exhaust the darkness, the powers of death on him, the representative of Israel. They exhaust it on him. And by that, Death, sin, who exhausted all of its might, the forces of darkness, death, all exhausted upon him, condemned in his flesh, as it was supposed to happen in us by the spiritual agriculture, death is defeated. Death is defeated. See, again, he took the full blow of sin. Not the full blow of an angry pagan God. The full blow of sin. Now, make no mistake, i got to be careful here because it can sound like I'm not saying that God doesn't have righteous wrath towards sin. He does. I mean, right now the Holy Spirit is moving believers to pray because we're angry at what's happening uh, on the other side of the world. We see injustice. God sees that injustice. He weeps for that injustice. So make no mistake, that we're not saying that he doesn't have a righteous justice. But what we're talking about here is different. It's different than that. The righteous justice that should come to us, he doesn't want to come to us. And so he knows, as we're going to see in a moment, that the true culprit here is sin who has not only tarnished us, it has enslaved us. Sin has enslaved us. See, this is the most important part because I think this is the part that gets left out the most and that N.T. Wright often says, you're missing something when you talk about the cross. And it's the, the Christus Victor theology. Christus Victor. This was probably the theology the most the early church stood by and that talked about, present in writings of early church fathers. It is that we are enslaved the way Israel was enslaved by the Egyptian pharaoh and the hosts that they served, the spiritual hosts that, they, that he served. Okay, remember, there's a showdown between Moses, Aaron, and these priests from other religions, right? There are cosmic powers. The real issue wasn't Pharaoh. Yes, it was Pharaoh, but beyond that, 
the spiritual idolatry that Pharaoh and Egypt had dived into. They held power. See, Israel was liberated from Pharaoh, but more importantly, from the cosmic powers. Jesus on the cross is the second exodus. He is the liberation because we are chained to sin. The cross is not just about forgiveness. The cross is about freedom, deliverance. As Paul said last week, the Passover lamb, this all happened during Passover. The point is to free us, to free us, to take us into an exodus outside of the slavery, yes, slavery of sin, not of Pharaoh, of sin. We often forget the spiritual elements of our sins. Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The problem is we're too 20, 21st century to, to talk like this. <laughs> it's weird. It's like, oh, that's a little weird. Yeah, that meant something else. No, that's how they would have thought of it, the inspired authors of the Bible. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's all over the place. Not only in the letters of Paul and in other New Testament documents, but also when you read the Gospels. When you read the Gospels, you see Christ who in his triumphal entry, here's this king who declared war, as Paul said a few weeks ago, on the spiritual cosmic forces. When he said, on this rock, he's declared war, he's revealed himself, the triumphal entry of this military king is just military not to Rome, military to the spiritual forces. He's freeing us, not just forgiving us, he's freeing us. He's delivering us. Colossians 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that phrase is because he's talking to people who weren't Jewish. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, there it is, forgiveness, that's one, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Grace, great, that first part we talked about. But, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, I don't have to be ashamed. The powers of darkness, the rulers and authorities, they have been put to open shame. He's not talking about Rome, just Rome. He's talking about way more. We are enslaved to sin. Here's, here's, here's a practical component for us on this. Many of us want to embrace the side of the cross of forgiveness and not the side of the cross of freedom. Come on. Many of us like the side of forgiveness of the cross and not the, the, the side of victory that gives me power to remove the chains. Romans 6, but thanks be to God when, that you who were once slaves of sin... You see, you're, you're chained, have become obedient from the heart to the standard to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that get, you get leads to sanctification. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So there is a liberty, a liberation, a freedom, a second exodus that has happened on the cross. That same Passover lamb that the Israelites consumed right before leaving, right? That's Jesus on the cross, the Lamb of God, sprinkling that blood, yes, also cleansing the environment within us and out of us, but also leading us, therefore, after, through the resurrection, into newness of life. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am no longer a slave to sin. And I say we often forget this side of the cross because we, we're like, oh man, the movie that comes to mind is Shawshank Redemption. Who here has seen Shawshank Redemption? It's one of my all-time favorite movies. It's not a family movie. Don't watch it with your kids. It's a little strong, but it is an amazing movie nonetheless. Uh, and off, not often, but there's this part in the movie where they talk about prisoners that are institutionalized. Institutionalized. What they say in the movie is that basically a prisoner is up for release after 60 years in prison. He's lived his whole life in prison. And what does the prisoner do? Unfortunately, in the story of the movie, eventually the prisoner, when he walks out, eventually commits suicide. At, before that, he didn't even want to leave the prison. See, when we claim the forgiveness and not the freedom, what we're doing is there was this dungeon in which we lived where the powers of darkness, they had their guards, Satan, they all, they all had their guards, and we were kept in bondage to sin. Christ died on the cross. The shackles have been released. Satan's on the run. The fortress has been abandoned, and the doors are open. And you know what we do? We go back, we walk in, and we just like the feel of those shackles. And they're unlocked. They're unlocked. See, we weren't only forgiven so that we can leave the prison. We were unshackled. But we forget the liberation that's available on the cross because we shackle ourselves. We're used to it. We're, as they say in Shawshank Redemption, institutionalized. We like the feel of the shackles. But Christ is victorious. Christus victor. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, here's the thing. If I'm to summarize all of this as the band comes back up, if I were to summarize all the crazy passages that we've read today, because it's been a lot, probably more than we should have. <laughs> but here's, here it is. Christ didn't just die to forgive us. He died, he died for four things. Christ died on the cross to cleanse us, to clean you, right, with high sop, to forgive us, yes, and thus free us. He died to cleanse us, to forgive us, and to liberate us. And it's not one more than the other. It's not one is the central one of the other. They're all there. 
They're all together as one complex, beautiful thing. Sin is complex. Sin doesn't just make you a rule breaker. It changes who you are fundamentally. So the cross must change who you are fundamentally by freeing you. So when you look to the cross this Friday, remember that not only, or remember that it's deeper than Jesus died for our sins. Yes, he died for our sins to cleanse us, to forgive us, and to free us. Hallelujah. Stick to that. Hold on to that. We don't serve a pagan God that's really angry and looking to take it out on someone. Oh, man, I have to say this. Wait. Last thing. Sorry, Jason. Last thing. You want a good, beautiful image of the Father to understand the dynamics of the cross? Abraham committed a sin. He committed a sin by trusting the promise through his own means, got a son through another means that wasn't commanded by God. And right after, Abraham kicks out his other son and his concubine. After he kicks them out, right after in Genesis, God says, you need to go do a a cleansing. You need to go and do something. And you need to make up for it. And here's the kicker. Isaac is the one he says you must give. Give up Isaac. So that there's a cleansing. Because you've hurt someone. You left them to die in the wilderness with her son. You've done a deep offense. You've sowed sin into the world. Go and give up your son. The one I said the promise would come through. The reason God did that was to show not just the inner turmoil of Abraham, yes, but that's the turmoil the father goes through. But he's innocent. The father has to give up. Here's Jesus. I love you. Here's Jesus. I love you. I don't want sin to corrupt you. Here's Jesus. I don't want to take it out on you. I want to love you. Here's Jesus. Take him. He's the one I promised for Abraham. Through his seed, Jesus would come. Take him. Take him. I will cleanse you. I will free you in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are not like the pagan gods. You're not taking it out on me. You're giving up your son in whom you are pleased. You're giving it up to cleanse us with care, with eyesight, to cleanse us of our wounds, our self-inflicted death and decay because of our sin. You cleanse us with care. Father, you're so waiting for us to be free that you look to the horizon. You're looking to the horizon like the prodigal father, waiting for the prodigal son to just, and you just run. You humiliate yourself and you run to us and you embrace us. You sent your son to free us from what we've sown into the world ourselves. 
thank you that you gave your beloved son whom you are well pleased. Thank you, Jesus, for being one with the Father in will. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us the power to be free, free, to walk into an exodus of life and be free of the powers that no longer hold sway over us. The chains are unlocked. Father, take away that this lingering sense of wanting to be shackled. The door is open. No one's watching. The shackles are unlocked. May we walk into newness and freedom of life, abundant life, to be the image of God that we were called to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com. Thank you.